This is our third evening in Hezekiah, the reformer king. Last week, we looked more around uh, the life of Hezekiah. And let me just give you references again to look up when you go home uh, during the week or wherever, if you get the time. You want to look at 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19 and 20. You'll want to look at Isaiah 36 and 37 especially and read around that area. And also, if you'll want to look at Second um, Chronicles chapter 32 onward from there. And it tells you about King Hezekiah. He was a good king uh, in the sense that he reformed. means he removed the idols. and He removed all the idolatry out of Judah, the southern kingdom. Now, the first week we looked way before Hezekiah. I wanted to bring in a run-up from what happened in the state of the, the nation at the time. And the nation, as you know, separates into two kingdoms. I want to focus there, and I want to show you a chronological timeline. And you'll find that some of your books that you read in the Bible, although you can maybe name them in a line, if you learn the names of the books, they're not necessarily in chronological order in time. They're not in, in chronological order actually at all in time. And some of them should be, if you want to put them in chronological order, you know, you can bring one book before another and so on. But in timeline of history, we want to look, God willing, at that. I want to try and keep it as simple as I can because it would be better if we had visual aids. But unfortunately, I'm not that well jammed up on uh, PowerPoints and so, and so on. So let's turn, if you will, to First Kings, please. First Kings, and we want to run through just really where we had read in week one, our first week. This is our third week. First Kings, and we'll just point out things as we go as we go along, as we go by. First Kings chapter um, ten. I'm just going to mention it, and you can just sort of jot it down. And we're not going to be staying around there long. Okay, first, first Kings chapter 9 even is Solomon uh, and his wonderful kingdom. And all of Israel, all 12 tribes, uh, including the half-tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, which are the sons of Joseph, and their descendants are in the uh, Canaan land. And so Solomon is the son of King David. And from King David, he was made king over all of Israel. Solomon, his son, then takes place. He has a wonderful kingdom. I remember how it was so blessed that the, uh, you know, the, the, the stones were like gold and so on in the street, just giving an idea of how rich he was. Chapter 10, 1 Kings chapter 10, Solomon is fin- uh, visited by the Queen of Sheba, and she just sees uh, how Solomon's kingdom is, and she's just, uh, as we would say, she's blown away by this. She can't get over the opulence of his kingdom. And she too brings Solomon many things. Then we're told in 1 Kings chapter 10 that Solomon's, uh, uh, Solomon's throne was made of ivory, verse 18, overlaid with gold. And it tells you all about the king and the, uh, and the, the, the throne and all around the throne with all of these, all of these uh, lions around. Come on up here, Paul. Come on up, Kevin. Sit and take your seats. And so chapter 
10, 1 Kings 10 will tell you of that, uh, tells you about the ships of Tarshish or Tharsis going around the earth, sailing. And I told you there's even Hebrew uh, inscriptions being found in stones in the United, what's now the United States. Um, and so they went farther than uh, you would think. I don't know if any of you have seen the program was on last night about Egypt and Egypt's history. And strangely, it brought you right through all of the, the empires that's written in the book of Daniel. It brought you through the Assyrian Empire that we'll speak of tonight, the Babylonian Empire. It showed you the, uh, the Medo-Persian Empire. and showed you Alexander the Great and the, the Grecian Empire. Then the breakup, which Daniel's prophecy speaks of, and I've taught you it here before, and the Ptolemy Empire of the Egyptian uh, took over the Greeks, who took over Egypt. And they actually said it there, and I thought it was tremendous because people think they just stayed in the Mediterranean, how they had great naval fleets, even way back then, to sail into Spain and Britain right around. It was tremendous. It was on, I think it was BBC Two last night. And if you can look at uh, get it, uh, have a good look at it. It's a really, really interesting look. And uh, whenever, we, whenever we're looking at this, we see how Solomon's ship's done this. Then when we go to 1 Kings chapter 11, Solomon starts to backslide. The man with the wisdom of God. And how does it happen? Because he's a man. Because he's human, in other words. I'm not saying just because he's of the male kind. Because he is human. So notice, even when we've had two visitations of God, we still have the ability to fall away from the Lord if we do not watch our life. If we do not watch our lifestyles. Chapter 11, verse 1. But King Solomon loved many strange women. That was his downfall. He started to build many um, altars and gods for their wives to make sure he kept them all happy. And then whenever we go down again, on down further, chapter 11, it says in verse 9, And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice. And he commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I, statutes which I have commanded thee, notice this, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee and will give it to thy servant. Now, underline it's very, very important because once this prophecy is fulfilled, this determines destiny right to the very end of Christ comes. It's a big, big prophetic utterance that many people miss and skip over. I will surely rend the kingdom from thee and will give it to thy servant. Notwithstanding, in thy days I will not do it for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. So now he's going to rend it, remember, out of his son's hand, Solomon, you'll stay as the king, but when your son comes, for your father David's sake, because he loved me and I loved him, because of our relationship, <clears throat> excuse me, he says, I'll take it out of your sons. And the Lord stirred up an adversary, and we looked at the three adversaries. Here's the first one, Hadad the Edomite. And when we look at chapter 11 and verse 1, the Edomites are there, strange ways. Edomite is from Esau, remember? And look at Moabite, Ammonite, Edenite, Edomite. Moabite and Ammonites were from the ancestral relationship from Lot and his daughters. That was their two sons and their, their uh, 
their children and their children's children and their progenity on down, their seed. So now he brings, he's starting to marry into uh, a line that isn't called of God. He's starting to marry into a heathen line or, or if you want, a, a godless line. They have a, a, an amount of Hebrew blood in them because Abraham uh, it was a he- wasn't Hebrew. So they have this amount of Hebrew blood in them, but they're not whom God had called. Shows that we are not, we are to stay separate even and sanctified and not to be interrelated with the godless and the ungodly. But notice this, the, Almon, the, the Moabites and the Ammonites are the two sons of the ancestral relationship between Lot and his daughters. The Edomites come from Esau, Jacob, and Esau. Esau, who didn't want his birthright, as it were, gave up his birthright. That's the Edomites. And I told you before, Edom, Esau, and Seir, S-E-I-R, are the same peoples. They're just different names for the same people. The Zidonians were over where Lebanon was, and the Zidonians were, later you read in the northern kingdom, we know the names of Ahab and Jezebel. Jezebel was a Zidonian witch. She was a Zidonian worshipper, and it was of satanic origins. And so the Zidonians would worship Babylonian gods too, and the queen of heaven, and so on. So here we have the Zidonians, and the Hittites, uh, again, would be around where, uh, if you want, Turkey would be today, and around that. We've looked at that in part one, can't go into that. But when we come to here, we see how the first adversary was Hadad the Edomite, Shows you how your sin comes back to bite you. You know, you sow, you reap. You sow the wind, you'll reap the whirlwind. And it's important in our Christian lives what we sow. If we sow good seed, then from that good seed, God will give us an harvest. If we sow bad seed, God will give us the harvest of bad seed. We must sow the right seed and notice here it says, in verse 14, And the Lord stirred up an adversary unto Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. So now we can't go into that. We touched on that. Let your eye run down to verse 23. And God stirred him up another adversary, Rezon, Rezon the son of Eliada, which fled from his lord, Hadadazer, king of Zobah. And he gathered men unto him and became captain over a band when David slew them in Zobah. And they went to Damascus and dwelt therein and reigned in Damascus. And he was an adversary to Israel all the days of Solomon. This is up around where Syria is today. You hear Damascus on the news a lot. Then that was the second adversary. Then the next adversary and he was, uh, is in verse 26. And Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the Ephrathite of Sarida, Solomon's servant, whose mother's name was Sariah, a widow woman, even he lifted up his hand against the king. Now notice, the Lord had told Solomon, we looked at this, we must move on from this. I'm going to rend the kingdom from your hand, but you'll have the kingdom. But when your son comes, I'll rend the kingdom from him, and I'm going to give the kingdom to your servant, Solomon. To your servant. So that would make you have alarm bells right away. The Lord's already told me a word. And a lot of times God speaks to us loud and clear and we just don't take it in. It's just another thing he says. It's just another word given and it's not taken on board and walked out in our life. 
We always must walk out God's word, no matter how, um, how unacceptable to our own selves it, must, it is. If it's God's word, we must walk out the word. We must live out the word. When Jesus uh, was uh, asked in the, the marriage of Cain and Galilee to, to give the, the, the couple wine who had run out of wine for the, for the wedding feast, and when he tells them to bring over the, 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 the big uh, the big phases of, of, of water. He says, fill them with water. He says, and it seems so, uh, you know, this is stupid. This is water. They're looking for wine. But yet once you do it in, in faith, and then Christ moves in action, and he brings it to pass, that's which what it's going to be. And so even though things may seem, you know, it seems a bit silly, or it seems like I don't want to do this, or it seems impossible, yet you know God's telling you to do it, then what you do is you do his word, well, you walk in his word, and when you do, he is the one who then brings the impossible and makes it possible. So we must always walk out his word, and it's always for our benefit. So here, Solomon doesn't listen. It's your servant, Solomon, I'm going to give it to Verse 24. Um, pardon me, I'm in the wrong chapter. Sorry, pardon me, I'm in the wrong chapter. We're still in First Kings chapter 11. Okay, let your eye run down. And it came, verse 29, it came to pass the time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem. That is Solomon's servant, Jeroboam. Mark the name down. That Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, that the prophet Ahijah the Shilonite found him in the way, and he had clad himself with a new garment, and they two were alone in the field. And Ahijah caught the new garment that was on him and rent it in twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take thee ten pieces, for thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will rend the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and give ten tribes to thee. But he shall have one tribe for my servant David's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake the city I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel." Because they have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtaroth, that is um, another name for uh, Nimrod's wife, who was Semiramis. She then becomes known as Ashtaroth, the queen of heaven, and so on. That's where you get Ishtar from. It's the same goddess. And actually, this is where the name Easter derives from. Now, notice this. The goddess of the Zidonians... Chemosh, the god of the Moabites. Notice the names. Milcom, the god of, the, of Ammon. That's the Amorites. Or from Lot's incestual relationship. And have not walked in my ways to do that, which is right in mine eyes, to keep my statutes, my judgments, as David his father. Howbeit, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him prince all the days of his life for David my servant's sake, whom I choose because he kept my commandment and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and will give it unto thee, even ten tribes. And unto his son will I give one tribe that David, my servant, may have a light always before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen me to put my name there. And I will take thee, and thou shalt reign according to all that thy soul desireth, and shalt be king over Israel. Now, when... Let me just uh, encapsulate this. Ahijah meets Jeroboam, who is Solomon's servant, and he meets him outside of Jerusalem. He takes his new garment, rents it in 12 pieces, and he says, take 10 pieces, that's for 10 tribes. God's going to give you 10 tribes. And two pieces is going to go to Solomon's son. So the kingdom is rent like a garment. It's going to be rent, torn, as God had said. He's given it to Solomon's servant, Jeroboam, 
as God had said. It's very, that's very important, okay? So, that's your eye run down to verse, chapter 12. And Rehoboam went to Shechem. Now, Rehoboam is Solomon's son. He is now the king. And all Israel are still together at this time. Remember, God says, I won't take it out of your hand, Solomon, but in your son's time. Now, notice how this comes to pass. In your son's time, I will. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, notice the name, that's Solomon's servant, the son of Nebat, who was fled, who was yet in Egypt, pardon me, heard of it, for he was fled from the presence of King Solomon, and Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt. So Jeroboam then goes to Egypt, comes out of Egypt because Solomon's dead. Rehoboam, Solomon's son, is going to take the kingdom. Now Jeroboam comes out, and when Jeroboam comes out, he comes to speak to uh, Rehoboam. And remember, he actually was put in charge under Solomon of the house of Joseph. The house of Joseph was the northern territory already of Israel. He already had his, his food in. They already knew him. It's like he was already good for the job of already this happening. God was allowing him to be prepared for what was going to happen. Isn't it amazing that sometimes we think God's doing nothing, yet in all circumstances and situations, God is preparing all along. And yet, sometimes we wonder, Lord, we don't understand your logic, because this seems to be like, this is a terrible thing. But yet God had a bigger plan, God had a bigger purpose, and God has a bigger picture. So Jeroboam comes up to Rehoboam, Solomon's son, and they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spake unto Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous now, therefore make thou the grievous service of thy father and his heavy yoke, which he put upon us lighter, and we will serve thee. And he said, Depart yet for three days, then come again to me. And the people departed. And Rehoboam consulted with the older men, that stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived and said, How do ye advise that I may answer this people? Now here is real leadership. Listen to this. And they spake unto him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant unto this people, this day and wilt serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will, will be thy servants forever. Here, Christ takes this as it were, or they are actually taking it as a godly counsel, but Christ takes this and he uses this by washing the disciples' feet. I'm not come to be served, but to serve. And what happens is that Christ has millions of followers now because he was the greatest servant of all. And no servants will serve him forever. Because of love, it's a love service. So, so Rehoboam, Solomon's son, says, what will they do? And they're saying, love the people and serve them because then they'll know your heart, they'll catch your heart, and they will serve you. Now, verse 8, but he forsook the counsel of the old men, which they had given him and consulted with the young men that were growing up with him and which stood before him. And he said unto them, what counsel give ye 
that we may answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, make the yoke which my father did put upon us lighter. And the young men that were growing up with him spake unto him, saying, thus shalt thou speak unto this people, that spake unto thee, saying, thy father made our yoke heavy, Make thou it lighter unto us, thus shalt thou say unto them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. And now, whereas my father did lead you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father hath chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king had appointed, saying, Come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people roughly and forsook the old man's counsel that they gave him and spake unto them after the counsel of the young man, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, and I will add to your yoke. My father also chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. Wherefore the king hearkened not unto the people, for the cause of was from the Lord, that he might perform his saying, which, was, which the Lord spake by Ahijah the Shilonite unto Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Here the prophecy comes to pass. God knew Solomon's son's heart before Solomon's son was even born. I know what's going to happen. See, we are taken by surprise all the time by things. I mean, we, we, we're, people surprise us to no end. You know, you're, you're just so surprised. Things happen to us and surprise us. And sometimes we go through circumstances and situations you think, well, I've seen it all now, and then all of a sudden you realize you haven't. <laughs> Something else hits you up the face, and it's worse maybe than the last time. But in every step of the way, we have to know that God is never taken by surprise. God says to, uh, to Solomon, Solomon's now dead, his son's been born, and now he's taken on the throne. He says, I'm going to not render from you, but from your son, and I'm going to give it to your servant. And here now is the rending about to happen. Verse 16, So when all Israel saw that the king hearkened not unto them, the people answered the king, saying, What portion have we in David? Neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, now I see to thine own house, David. So Israel departed unto their tents. But as for the children of Israel, which dwelt in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. Now, here is a separation. Those who have come from the northern parts of the country, they come down to Jerusalem. And because they're given this bad news, they say, right to your tents, we're moving. But there were already people from there who were dwelling, just moved down into Judah. And that's how you get some Judah or some Israel uh, tribal names in around Judah because they're living there already. And so they move up and they say, we're leaving, we're going. We have no part with David means we have no part with the royal throne. We have no part with Judah. We're moving out. Judah was always the biggest tribe in Israel. So they, they decide they're going to move first. 18 says, Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was over the tribute, and all Israel stoned him with stones that he died. Therefore King Rehoboam made speed to get him up to his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel rebelled against 
the house of Judah. And it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam was come again, that they sent and called unto him, called him unto the congregation, notice, and made him king over Israel. Jeroboam, Solomon's servant, is now made king over Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. And when Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah, notice, with the tribe of Benjamin. Remember the Lord says, I will give him a tribe for a light. The tribe of Benjamin became known as the light-bearing tribe. And the whole way from here, right the whole way to the time of the Lord Jesus, there are Benjaminites the whole way through the scripture with them. And the light-bearing tribe, the tribe of Benjamin, Paul was from Benjamin, and nearly all of the early apostles around Galilee, Benjaminites, moved up all around Galilee. They were called. And so except for maybe two, all were Benjaminites, even Paul the apostle who came after that. And what did they do? They were the light-bearing tribe for the king who would come out of Judah, the Lord Jesus Christ. They were the light-bearing tribe who carried the torch of the gospel. See God's word starting to come to pass. See God's word already. Now notice this. Verse 21, And when Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin and hundred and fourscore thousand chosen men which were warriors to fight against the house of Israel. Notice now the split. House of Israel, house of Judah. Notice, house of Israel, house of Judah. See from this split, they have never been together since. Only in Christ can they come together. Now notice this. To bring the kingdom again to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of God came on the Shemaiah, the, son, the man of God, saying, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and unto all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Ye shall not go up and fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Return every man to his own house, for this thing is from me. They hearkened therefore to the word of the Lord and returned to depart according to the word of the Lord. So the Lord says, I have already ordained this. I have a bigger picture. We're going to look, and I'm not going to read as much as, I could just keep reading this and throwing it out here, but I want you to catch really what's going on. Before, if I jump too far, you might not be able to keep up with where it is if you don't know the storyline. But whenever we get to here, now the Lord says there's going to be two kingdoms. And remember, I told you, to give you a visual in your mind, if you look at the island of Ireland, you have Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. Then you have uh, Belfast, our capital, and Northern Ireland, you have the Republic of Ireland, you have Dublin as the capital. Well, Israel were separated like that. Only you had two capitals, you had two kings, and two lines of kings. And the Northern Kingdom were called the House of Israel. And the Southern Kingdom were called the House of Judah. Judah is where you get the name, is the name Yehudi, or Yehuda. Yehudi, Yehuda is plural and, and singular. And that's, that derives into the name Jew. But the actual name Jew with a J, um, my memory serves me right, the letter J wasn't actually introduced into the English language there around Shakespeare's time. So it wasn't even actually a J, and their name was an I, a U. That's where it goes from, Yehuda, or Yehuda. So the J actually didn't come into English until I think it was uh, 
Shakespeare's time, round about that sort of time. So, but that's where the name comes from. So they became known as Jews, and they became known as Israel. Let me show you something. Go to First Kings chapter, or Second Kings. Let me just have Second Kings, Second Kings chapter sixteen. I'm I'm going to do this by sort of off the top of my head if I can. Yes. Now, you're going to read of the two kingdoms. This is near the end before the kingdoms are carried away, kept of the house of Israel, the northern kingdom. And if you let your eye run down just the first five, then Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel. Notice there's two kings, the Syrian king, the northern kingdom king of Israel. Came to war, came up to Jerusalem to war. And they besieged Ahaz, but could not overcome him. At that time, Rezin, king of Syria, recovered Elath to Syria and drove the Jews from Elath. And the Syrians came to Elath and dwelt there unto this day. So Ahaz sent messengers to Diglath Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am thy servant and thy son. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Syria and out of the hand of the king of Israel, which rise up against me. Do you see here in Second Kings chapter 16? This is the first time in Scripture you'll read the actual English word Jew. It's the first, that's the first mention of it, the Jews. Abraham wasn't a Jew, he was in Hebrew. There were no Jews in Abraham's day. Isaac wasn't a, a, a Jew. He wasn't Hebrew. He wasn't even an Israelite. There were no Israelites then either. Jacob wasn't a Jew. He wasn't Hebrew. His name was called Israel, and his sons were called Israelites. One tribe was called Judah. And if you look up your strong concordance, I will tell you the name Yahudi is the plural, and Yehuda means Judah, and that's where this name Jew comes from. So only one tribe was really named Jews. So the name of the southern kingdom was Judah, and taking in a lot of Levi, um, Benjamin and Judah. Levi didn't have any um, inheritance. Their inheritance was the tithe. That was their inheritance. They were the priestly tribe. Okay, So a lot of times you hear um, people saying Abraham the Jew. There were no Jews in Abraham's day. There weren't even any born. There was no such thing. This is the first time in the Bible. Look up your concordance when you go home for Jew, Jews, and you'll find this is the first mention of that actual name. You'll read Judah, obviously, because it was before that. Okay, let's go back to First uh, Kings, please, chapter 13. So you can see they were warring against each other. The Jews in Judah they actually went to Tiglath-Pileser, the Assyrian. And they says, I'm your son, but they weren't, they weren't even related. <laughs> they were saying, they were actually their enemies, but what they were saying is, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So they were making a, a, an, an alliance with an enemy. Don't you find that whenever you know, someone falls out with you, someone that they always thought were your enemy, if they thought they were going to be your enemy, they would make friends to come against you. They've done that with Christ too. Pilate couldn't stand Herod. And Herod couldn't stand the Pharisees. And the Pharisees hated the Sadducees. And they all hated one another and they all got together to crucify Christ. 
Isn't it amazing how the devil can be unified and demonic spirits can be unified, yet sometimes God's people meant to be full with the unity of the Holy Ghost can't? It's unbelievable sometimes. So that's the first time you'll read that. But whenever you go to First Kings chapter 13, we're going, or sorry, chapter 12, we're going back again. Verse 24, Thus saith the Lord, you shall not go up and fight against your brethren. Verse 25, then Jeroboam, Solomon's servant, who now has the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, then Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim and dwelt therein and went out from thence and uh, and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, listen to what Jeroboam's heart says now, now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. Ah, see, Jeroboam was was thinking, Ahijah the prophet said, this is my kingdom, and God has done it. So even Jeroboam now, in his backsliding ways, is starting to go, you know what? I can't believe God to finish his word. It'll go back to David, nor will it go back to Judah. They'll go to worship in Jerusalem again. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people Turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before one even unto Dan. And he made a house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah. And he offered upon the altar. So did he in Bethel, sacrificing on the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised out of his own heart, and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel, and he offered upon the altar and burnt incense. Now, what is wrong with that? One, he makes calves. He turns around and he says, if they go down there, they'll go back to the living God. They'll start to worship in Jerusalem. I'll be, a, I'll, be a, uh, I'll be their target and they'll kill me. So he says, make golden calves. He puts one at the top of the, the country of the northern kingdom, one at the southern end uh, in Bethel and in Dan. And he says, these be thy God. It's too much for you to go down to Jerusalem. It's too much of a journey. And listen, it might be a wee bit difficult now, guys, because we're separated from the house of Judah. Maybe it'd be better just worshiping here. Look at these bull calves of gold. Don't they look great? Here's your idols. These be thy gods of Israel. These are Yahweh that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So they start then. He puts up a priesthood that is not a priesthood of God. The Levites were the priesthood. He puts that priesthood up and he starts bringing in sacrifices and he starts mimicking the sacrifices of the house of God in the temple in Jerusalem. So what is he doing? The devil is starting to use him. He's allowing his wicked heart to use him to be able to keep the people away in order that he may not only rule over them, but that he will bring them 
into a false, idolatrous form of worship. In other words, the devil himself, Paul says, is transformed into an angel of light. All that glitters isn't gold. In other words, it, 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 this, this worship was exactly what God had commanded not to happen. And he says, go to Dan, go to Bethel. Uh, uh, mark uh, Exodus chapter 32 and read it when you go home. When Moses was up the mountain, they took the earrings and they melted the earrings and the gold and their rings and, and they made the golden calf. Here's, here's Jeroboam, the servant of Solomon, now king of Israel. He does the same. And see from Jeroboam right through to the end of the kings of Israel until God carries them away by the Assyrians. There's a, a, the, the, the last king of, Assyria, of Israel is called Hosea. Now, he's not the prophet Hosea. He's called Hosea. So you've got Jeroboam the Hosea. And in the southern kingdom, they have a kingly line, and they have Rehoboam right through. And the last one before carrying away is Zedekiah. And Zedekiah, when you read about him, his sons were slain before him, and then they burnt his eyes out. So the last imprinted image in Zedekiah's mind was the slaying of his two sons and the burnt his eyes. It's the last thing he saw. So whenever we look at this, these two kingdoms stay like this. They come right through. In fact, let me just show you. Um, the northern kingdom, I'll just do this off the top of my head briefly because we spend weeks on this. The northern kingdom you have, Jeroboam, and then it comes from Jeroboam. There's different kings come. And the most infamous king would be Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And you'll read about Elijah going in to King Ahab and, and the rain uh, not falling for three and a half years. And you read about Ahab. You read about Jezebel and her being thrown from the balcony and, and the dogs licking her blood in the street as God had prophesied of that. That was in the northern kingdom. Their capital was called Samaria. Samaria, okay? Now, when we get into 1 Kings 13, Jeroboam's on the, th- on the throne. He's built these altars. Now all this worship starts coming out, and it's all idolatrous worship. And the man comes onto Bethel, and Jeroboam stands by the altar. And look at th- chapter 13, verse 2. And he cried against the altar. The word of the Lord said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, behold, the child shall be born unto the house of David. Josiah by name, and upon thee shall he offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon thee. Men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord hath spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. And it came to pass when Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God that he cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, Lay hold on him, and his hand which he had put forth against him dried up, so that he could not pull it to him, again to him. The altar also was rent, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. So here he is now in Bethel, this golden calf. There's an altar to do false religious worship at it, burning uh, in, and sending incense onto false deity and false god, the god who allegedly brought them out of Egypt, which was also the bull calf god of Egypt. They worshipped the calf god in Egypt. And in fact, in that, again, that program last night, there's, they found these tombs 
And they're, they, you want to see the underground network that they showed you in Egypt. And they have these massive, there must be some 10 foot high, more, uh, uh, big slabs of stone. And in them are, they are sarcophagus uh, tomb. And they're walking around them, looking at them, look like they're nearly made of marble. And there's rows of them. No, it's in them. Bulls that they worshipped and died. And the next bull is, it's like reincarnation. Here's our next God we worship. And they actually, they, they mummified them and they worshipped them and they have rows and rows and rows of them. I didn't know they, they existed like this. So uh, they, they worshipped this in Egypt. They do it in Moses' day. Now Jeroboam's going back to false idolatrous worship and the Lord sends a man and says, oh, altar, altar, this is not my altar. But Jeroboam, puts his hand out and goes, arrest him, and his hand sticks out, and he can't pull his hand back. His hand freezes, and he can't pull it back. And the man has to cry unto God to allow Jeroboam to put his hand back in. The altar is rent. Here's a little prophecy in verse 2. Just, Behold, a child shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name. Whenever you look at King Hezekiah, as we go down through the kings, you look at King Hezekiah. Josiah is King Hezekiah's grandson. And he is only eight years of age when he comes on the throne. By the time he's 16, they find the word of God in a ruined temple in Jerusalem. By the time he's 16, and he calls for the nation to get back to God, and they're starting the reading of the reading of the word, and God starts to really pour spirit out and bless them all. This is the Uzziah here, and God's prophesying again, prophesying again. This is what's going to happen. So this is now the northern kingdom. God says, see down below in Judah, the southern kingdom. I know it's going to go wrong, but there's going to be a young man from the house of David, that's David's line, the kingly line, called Uzziah. He's going to come out. Where do you see what he does? So maybe we'll get to him at a later date. Flick over with me as well over First Kings. Um, let's go to First Kings chapter seventeen. I tell you what, no, we'll do. It'll take too long. Go to Second Kings, and we'll go to Second Kings and. <clears throat> We'll go to the end of the kings of Israel. You, you read through the kings, it just take far too long. Here we have a, a king, it says in chapter 17, 2 Kings 17, verse 1. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, began Hosea, the son of Elah, to reign in Samaria over Israel nine years. Now see, when you're reading that in Bible study, always keep it in mind, there's two kingdoms. And then when you're reading the prophets, you'll start to understand who are they speaking to and what are they for. So here we have Ahaz, king of Judah. That's in Jerusalem, southern kingdom. And we have Hosea, son of Elah, reigning in Samaria. That is the northern kingdom of Israel, nine years. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel that were before him. In other words, Ahaz did evil, but he wasn't the worst. He wasn't as bad as the kings of the northern kingdom. And Hosea was a bad king. Notice, Hosea was a king in the northern kingdom and uh, Shalmaneser, the king of Assyria. That's not Syria, but Assyria comes. 
Against him came Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, and Hosea became his servant and gave him presents. The king of Assyria found conspiracy in Hosea, for he had sent messengers to so king of Egypt and brought no present to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. The king of Assyria came up throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Syria and carried away Israel and, and sorry, and carried Israel away into Assyria, placed them in Hala and Hebor by the river of Gozan and in the cities of the Medes. For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, which had brought them up out of the land of Egypt under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods and walked in the statutes of the heathen, whom God had cast out from before the children of Israel and of the kings of Israel, which they had made. Now, here they come right around the fertile crescent. The Assyrians come right into the northern kingdom. It's like them coming from Scotland, if you want, into northern Ireland and starting to attack Northern Ireland. They start carrying away the people. And over a period of years, they get round uh, Samaria, the capital city, and the kings that were there, King Hosea, and they encroach around it, and they encamp around it for three years. And then they eventually conquer Samaria, the northern kingdom's capital city. Now, um, here we have the last king of Israel. So there's all these kings who have come from Jeroboam. We have the last king of Israel. Here's a strange little fact for you. Hosea here, the last king of Israel, is the 19th king of the house of Israel from Jeroboam and the split. His reign was 199 years after the reign of Solomon from the split would happen. And he reigned in the northern kingdom for nine years. Now notice the word nine cropping up here. Why is that significant? The number nine is significant because number eight is new beginnings. Number eight keeps going around, you know, like the figure eight, an eight track, new beginnings. Number nine and then number 10. Number 10 is God's perfect order, 10 commandments, okay? God's perfect order. Number nine is taking one short of God's perfect order, which means it's an imperfect order and it's not from God. Here the reign of him was God had called an end to an imperfect order. And in other words, for example, when we look at the, the Twin Towers 9-11, nine, imperfect from 10, taking away from 10, you have 10 commandments, you have 10 moral laws. James says if any man break one, he's guilty of them all. So we are imperfect. You can't take away from the word of God, nine, Neither can you add to the word of God, which is 11. 12 is God's perfect number for government, his governing body, number 12. 12 apostles of the Lamb, 12 gates of the city, number 12. Well, we can do numbers some other time. So number 10 is God's perfect order of things, like the Ten Commandments, and you can't take away, nor can you add, 9, 11. The twin towers were 11. 9, 11, 9, 1, 1, 9 plus 1 plus 1 is 11 too. And there's so many of those things you can add up. So notice this, even the very dates of that. Here we have the number 9, God's imperfect, or sorry, man's imperfections from God's perfection. 
And Hosea was the last king to be carried away from it. Now, so the northern king's carried away, kingdom is carried away. Second Kings 15, just go back a little. Just go back a little. Second Kings chapter 15. What happens then? Look, your eye run down for time's sake to verse 29. We have a king called Pekah just before Hosea. Remember we read Pekah earlier on fighting with the, and the king of Syria, Rezin? Pekah fought against the Jews. This is the same king. In the days of Pekah, king of Israel, came Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria. Remember the Jews asked king of Assyria, come and help me, I am your son. Please help me. This is what's happening. Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and took Ajon, and Abel Bethmahak, and Jo. Janoah and Kadesh and Hazor and Gilead and Galilee, uh, all the land of Naphtali. Naphtali is one of the areas of the tribes of the northern kingdom, Naphtali, and carried them captive to Assyria. And Hosea, the son of Elah, made a conspiracy against Pekah, the son of Remaliah, and smote him and slew him and reigned in his stead. So now Hosea is the king. Now let your eye run down. And the verse 32, in the second year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, began Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, to reign. Now, see the name Uzziah? If you underline that, when you get to the prophecy of Isaiah the prophet, the book of Isaiah, in chapter 6, the death of this king is mentioned by the prophet Isaiah. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. This is the king in Judah. Now they're talking about, this is him. He's born now. He's coming king. Isaiah's down south and he's, and he's writing when he dies and he sees the Lord. See how it's all fitting together. Is everybody with me? Okay, yeah. I have it all in my head, you know, but if, if everybody's with me. Okay, so... That's just for time's sake. Let your eye run down. Chapter 16. The 17th year of Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, Ahaz, the son of Joseph, king of Judah, began to reign. 20 years old was Ahaz when he began to reign. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem and did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord his God, like David his father. So here's Ahaz and Hosea that we read in the next chapter we've read. He walked in the way. This is the king of Judah, the king of Jerusalem, him in the southern kingdom. He walked in the way of the kings of Israel, yea, and made his son to pass through the fire according to the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel. Mark Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 3 there and read it when you go home. Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 3. And he sacrificed and burnt incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Now notice, here we come. Now we're reading where there was war between them, okay? So when we then move to Second Kings chapter 17, the Assyrians have come. They've taken away Hosea. There's been war. They've, Judah is left at the bottom. Judah, the house of Judah, the, the kingdom of Judah, the Jews are left at the bottom kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel and their ten tribes are now taken away. Their, their, their city of Samaria is gone and their kings have gone because Hosea is their last king. So when we go to Second Kings chapter 17, 
That's just, that's just for time's sake. Let your eye run down. What happens? Verse 18. Therefore the Lord was very angry with, was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. Notice there was none left but the tribe of Judah only. Now, we also, as Benjamin is also with them, when they say the tribe of Judah only, they are the main tribe, the house of Judah, okay? Also Judah kept not the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel which they made. And the Lord rejected all the seed of Israel. The Lord rejected them. This is the northern kingdom. Now he's starting to look at the southern kingdom, telling them he's better. Bug up your ideas here. He rejected all the seed of Israel. In fact, if you go, uh, when we, we'll maybe look again some other time, in the book of Jeremiah, he comes, the Lord comes to Judah and he says, where is the bill of your mother's divorce? For I've divorced Ephraim or I've divorced Israel. And he says to Judah, you're her sister, you're not divorced yet, but I've put them out of the marble home. See, when Israel came out of Egypt in Exodus 19, the Lord says, if you do this and if you do that, I'll be a husband to you. This is all the Lord commands we will do. So the Lord in Exodus 19 at the foot of Mount Sinai, he marries Israel and brings down the Ten Commandments, which was their marriage contract. So God says, when you take my name in vain, you're going, you have to live up to my name, as I told you on Sunday morning. And that's what it meant. Live up to my name. You're now my, my, my bride. You're my wife now. So the Lord's wife is going through, and she's a complaining wife all the way through the wilderness. When they get to Canaan land, it's over the river Jordan, the Lord, as it were, takes his bride in his arms and he carries them over the threshold of Jordan into Canaan land. That's the marital home. God is an husband. He says, I am an husband unto Israel. I'm your husband. But because the kingdom separates, Israel now has become an adulterous wife and God, after sending prophet after prophet after prophet, he says, I read you a bill of divorce, get out. How does he remarry? This is what he does. He comes in the person of his son. Israel now scattered. And not at this point, but later go scattered and come, I'm trying to do the map, come westward. Start populating, changing of names, start being lost in themselves, start become heathenized. And that's why Judah, the Jews, Benjamin with them, the light-bearing tribe, carry the gospel. They go into where Saxony was. There is, uh, there, there is uh, archaeological f- digs and finds that are found from the Sumerian clay tablets, for example. Omri was one of the northern kings, and Omri's house became so known for its wickedness when the Assyrians took it away. There's actually carvings. You can actually see some of them as well in the, the, the British Museum in London. You can, you can see all of these things that are written and uh, uh, carved into stone. And you see Omri kneeling down before the king of Assyria. And Omri, they call it the house of, the, the Assyrians didn't call it the house of Omri, they called it the house of Qumri. They, that's how they pronounce it, K-H-U-M-R-I or something like that it was. And they pronounced the house of Qumri or the house of Kimri. And that's where you get the name uh, Kimri from or Kimurian, which comes to the Kimurians. And then you get the the Celts and the Gauls and all that comes from that. That's where that name comes from. When the name changes through the years, the English changes, and it comes through Germany into Saxony, and uh, it's believed the word Saxon means Isaac's sons. That's where they were. The Danube 
Dan always put their names where their, their father's name. They changed the worth to the name of Dan everywhere they went. The Dan Yub, the Dan Nieper, the, the names of the rivers. And that's meant to be, he says, Dan shall be a serpent's trail. And so like they have went and brought serpent's trail. So the, so the gospel went, and the light-bearing tribe of the apostles of Benjamin, when Christ called them, carried the gospel and went after them. The Lord says, I'll call many fishers and hunters after them. And they hunted them out, and they preached the gospel, and all sorts of men and women started coming to saving faith in Christ. You see God's bigger picture? To bring the gospel wider. Let me finish, because time we've, we've well run over time. Let me, just, uh, let me just finish here to try and get somewhere to know where I'm going to start back again. So Hosea here, the last king, is the 19th king. But look what it says here. Verse 20, And the Lord rejected all the seed of Israel and afflicted them and delivered them into the hand of the spoilers until he had cast them out of his sight. For he rent Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king, and, drew, and Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them a sin, made them sin a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They departed not from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight. As he had said by all his servants the prophets, so was Israel carried away out of their own land to Assyria to this day. And the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon and from Cuthah and from Avon and from Hamoth and Seraphim, and he placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they possessed Samaria and dwelt in the cities thereof. And so it was at the beginning of their dwelling there that they feared not the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them which slew some of them. Now, we're going to stop there because I'll tell you why. What happens is the king of Israel, or kings of Assyria, he comes in and they start worrying. They take away the northern kingdom. They eventually take the northern city of Samaria captive. And now they've got a land that's only... Um, Ezekiel talks about gleanings of grapes that are, you know, like grapes on a vine that have, that have escaped. No, they've run away and they've escaped. And the Lord said there would be a tithe of Israel left just there. So there was only little bits, a remnant of, of the northern kingdom there. Most of them were taken away captive. But the king of Assyria looks at the land and he says, now I'm going to populate it. And he takes all these other peoples and he starts putting them down and repopulating the land where the northern kingdom of Israel were. So way later when Jesus comes, he says to his disciples, go not into the cities of where? Samaria. But onto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now Jesus must needs go through Samaria. Why? Because there were gleanings of grapes there. And he knew he was going to go and meet these. Elect of God. That's what happened. And then when you get you, you Judah, Judea in Jesus' time, you had Samaria like here, uh, just to the north, and then sort of more northeast, you had Galilee to the north. And that's where Benjamin is populated when they came back. We haven't got there yet. And so yeah, you know why Jesus was saying that. That's why Jesus says, it says that Jesus couldn't walk in Jewry or among the strongholds of Judah or Judea because they sought to kill him. He was up around Galilee all the time, and then he walked up and down. 
And he got his disciples because they were the light-bearing tribe. They were accepting him as Messiah. And so the word of God starts to fit together, and then he says, now I go out and seek them. And they go carrying their light-bearing tribe, the torch, bringing the gospel of saving grace. So there we go. That was a long Bible study for you.